Thanks for tuning in to the Met Church Podcast. Here at the Met, we are all about connecting people to God and one another. If you have any questions or want more information about what's happening here at the church, then head to our website at metchurch.com. We would love to stay connected with you throughout the week through social media. So be sure to connect with us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Now enjoy the message. We're in a series from James. And in the book of James, as we said last week, he seems to oftentimes uh, maybe contradict a little bit of what Paul had wrote about because James talks about the significance of works where Paul talks about the significance of grace. And you have to understand they're talking to two different audiences. Paul is talking to people who did not, do not yet know Jesus and he's saying you cannot work hard enough to merit salvation. You can't join enough churches, you can't be baptized in enough water, you cannot do enough things, you cannot give enough money, you're insufficient in and of yourself to come to Jesus. It is by grace, Paul would say in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, that you're saved, not of yourselves, lest anyone should boast. Grace is God's hand reaching down to us, faith is our hand reaching up toward God. So when it comes to us knowing Jesus as Savior, it's about his grace. It's not about my effort or my work. So that's what Paul said. And James says, Paul, I agree with you, but once a person has received Jesus, there is an element of works that should be about the experience. Even in the Ephesians 2, 8, 9 that I quoted a moment ago, you read the next verse, verse 10, he says, yeah, we're saved by faith apart from works, but, verse 10, we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. So you're not saved by faith and works, you're saved by a faith that will work. So when Paul was writing, he was saying, here's how you are justified before God. Now, don't let the word justify scare you. That's Christianese, it sounds like. All the word justified, if I could break it apart, it means to be made just as if I'd never sinned. Justified, just as if I'd never sinned. So how am I justified in the eyes of God? It's by grace through faith. And so how then, when James writes, am I justified not before God, but before other people, and that's by the things that I do. My work, my words authenticate my faith. You see, people who do not know God look at those of us who claim we do, and they're looking to see if there's a difference, if there is a distinction in how we do business and how we treat people, how we treat people in restaurants, how we treat our next door neighbors, and more importantly, how we treat our own families. And so people who do not know God look at us skeptically because they're not yet convinced that there is anything to being a Christian that there is any difference in the life of one who follows Christ. And that's why we've said the greatest argument for Christianity is a Christian, and conversely, the greatest argument against Christianity is a Christian. So we do have kind of a burden on our shoulder to live out this faith and this life that we uh, are called to live. That's why it's important that we put this disclaimer. Being a Christian does not mean you're perfect. It does not mean you've reached some state, you've attained some level where you no longer sin. I've told you before, if you could roll a joint before you met Jesus, you still know how to roll a joint. It, it did not set default systems in your brain. You know, if you could dog cuss somebody before you met Jesus, you still dog cuss them, you know. Don't get more spiritual than you ought to be. I'm just saying, the reality is, you will always, I will always have an old nature that will always compete with my new nature. And the reality of it is people who don't know Jesus are seeing which one of those natures we tend to nurture. And the nature you nurture, it will be the dominant nature of your life. 
You consistently nurture the old nature. It will be reflected in the way you live. And as I'm talking about this morning, it'll be reflected in the way you talk. And the big challenge before us who claim to know Christ as we go out into a world and try to be effective in sharing our faith with other people is that we not only walk the walk, but we learn how to talk the walk. <laughs> that our speech becomes a complementary factor of our existence and our faith before God. Because it's so important that we reflect Jesus, not only in how we live our lives, but in how we speak to other people, how we speak uh, to our families. And so in the book of James, if you have a copy, look with me in James 3. If not, we provided it for you here on the screen. In James chapter 3, he starts now in this section talking about the importance of our, of our tongue, of our talk, uh, of the way we communicate with other people, what we say and how we say it. And he's talking about the, the power, the power of these words. Have you been, ever been to the doctor? And we have a couple of doctors in the house this morning. If you've been to the doctor, one of the things they'll tell you to do is stick out your tongue. And doctors say they can tell a lot about the health of a person by their tongue. Did you know that's true spiritually? You can tell a lot about the spiritual health of someone by their tongue. Listen to what they say, and they'll tell you a lot about where they are spiritually and where they are with their faith. So James says in 3 verse 1, when we put bits in the mouths of horses, we make them obey us. And we can turn the whole animal with that bit. Or take ships as an example. Although they, are, although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, yet they're steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what, is a great, what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Remember growing up seeing Smokey the Bear? And he said, only holding a match, only you can prevent a forest fire? Am I 100 years old? Anybody remember that? I mean, the idea, as you know, is that little that forest fire can all go downhill real quick with just one match. Doesn't take a blowtorch. So James was thinking that, man, our words are like that. We can burn the forest down with just one unfortunate word. He said in verse 6, the tongue is also a fire, a world of evil uh, that is among the parts of the body. This tongue, my words, corrupts the whole body and sets the whole course of one's life on fire and is set on fire by hell. He said, all animals and birds and reptiles, sea creatures are being tamed or they've been tamed, but no human being can tame their tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. The tongue, we praise the Lord, and on the other side, by the same tongue, we curse other people who have been made in God's likenesses, which was what I was getting at just a moment ago. So just for a few moments, I'm gonna talk about the power of your words and how you and I can actually take control of the words that we speak because our words will authenticate our faith. Number one, consider the source, the source of your words. All of our words come from somewhere. There, there, there's a source. And if you believe the Bible is I, the Bible says in Matthew 12, 34, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. So the source of the word is the heart. Now, what is the heart? It's more than the pulsating muscle of beating blood you know, through our body. It's more than just that. When the Bible speaks of the heart, it involves three essential elements. We've taught this. It involves your will, what you do. The heart involves your emotions, how you feel. And uh, the heart involves your intellect, what you think. So when you say to someone, I love you with all my heart, you're saying with my mind and my will and the, my emotion, with all that I am, I love all that you are. You can love no one with more than to love them with all your heart. 
when God said how we're to respond to him in Matthew 22, he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, your mind, your strength. This is the first and great commandment. So the heart is the source of the speech. So if my heart is right, my speech will be right. If my heart is hurt, my speech will be hurtful. If my heart is bitter, my speech will be hateful. The way I can tell and the way I can monitor the things that come out of my mouth is by evaluating the things that are in my heart. Did your mother ever say to you growing out, I'm gonna wash out your mouth with soap? You ever say that? As I got older, I realized the dirt's a little deeper. <laughs> I mean, you can wash the mouth out, but that dirt went a little deeper, it's down into the heart. In fact, it doesn't mean we're going to do this perfectly, as I said a moment ago, but as a Christ follower, we need to be cognizant of the fact that if my heart isn't right, it will affect the way I speak. Remember, we taught this in the Beatitudes when we did the series. We said, uh, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Well, the pure in heart, in the Greek, that's katharos, katharos. We get the word catheter from the idea of pure in heart. Well, the catheter is that medical device that removes impurities from the body. That's a pretty clean way of saying that, right? And so uh, when the heart has a katharos, the pure in heart, it means it has a way whereby it removes the impurities of your heart. You see, guys, you can't, you and I, we can't walk through a dirty world and stay clean. It's inevitable, inescapable that as you and I monitor and we work and walk in a dirty world, it's going to affect us. We still have the old nature, right? And so if we're not being cleansed each day, if we're not keeping our heart right each day, it's gonna eventually affect the way I talk. It's going to come out of my, of my mouth. That's why in 1 John 1, 9, he said, if we confess our sin, he didn't say you confess your sin, he's talking to Christians. He said, if we confess our sin, he then is faithful and just to forgive us all sin and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So we need to keep short accounts with God. Now, as a Christian, that doesn't affect my relationship to him because he's my father and I'm his child. It'll be that way till we step into heaven. The Bible says in Ephesians 1, you and I are sealed unto the day of redemption. The day of redemption is the time that he will present us before the Father and we'll be in his presence. So until then, we are sealed. The Holy Spirit is the seal. The only way your relationship to God could be broken is the seal would have to be broken, meaning God would have to break his word to you and to me. And that's not possible because he said God cannot lie. So our relationship is established, but our fellowship can be broken. You can be in a relationship with someone and be out of fellowship with them. You can be right now in a relationship with someone and not be talking to that someone. Don't look next to the person to you. I will never know. This, when I say that, I look at people's foreheads. I don't even look them. Don't even look at them in the eye. I don't want you to tip your hand. But the point is, you understand how that works in a relationship. In relationship, out of fellowship, that happens with, happens with the Lord. And when you go through something and you let it get in your heart, you have a betrayal in your life, somebody harms you or hurts you, or you just go through something that doesn't make sense and maybe the frustration isn't towards someone, but maybe it's toward God. And you don't deal with that. You, you, you don't have that catharos. You don't have that process where you've gotten that out of you, then it will set up within you. In fact, the Bible says in Hebrews 12, verse 15, be careful lest any root of bitterness set up in your heart and thereby the fruit of bitterness will eventually defile other people. You see where there is a root of bitterness in my heart, there'll soon be the fruit of bitterness in my talk. You can always tell what somebody is thinking by what they say. Somebody says, oh, you don't know what's in my heart. I, 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 let me talk to you a little while. And after a while, the preponderance of your word will reveal 
what's going on in your heart. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. That's why when the Bible, and again in Hebrews 12, I think about verse 16, when it talked about Esau, you remember Esau? When it talked about Esau in the Old Testament, it described him this way. He said, Esau was a profane person. It's in the King James that way, a profane person. What does that mean, a profane person? Well, we get profanity from that same idea. Profane uh, comes from the Latin profanum. Pro is without, phanum means temple or sacred place. So to be profane, speaking of Esau, means he was a man living away from God. He was a man outside of the sacred space of God's presence. He didn't have a relationship, you might say, with God. Well, what does it mean when out of my heart are profane things? It means that my heart is, is basically revealing that I'm not in a right relationship with God in this moment. I mean, we've all had that experience, right? Even Simon Peter, when he was at the fire and one of the little girls pointed him out as being a follower of Jesus and he denied him three times. And then the Bible says he, he even used language that would betray his faith. And she said, ooh, wow, nobody following Jesus talks like I haven't heard. And he was a sailor and he could cuss like he did cuss like he could. <laughs> and he did. And I'm just saying that's, we, again, we have that ability. You have that propensity. And I'm not beating anybody up. I'm just saying you got to recognize the fact that if you don't keep your heart in check, things will not that come out of you can be profane and not be something that will help or bless someone. Because it is out of the abundance of my heart and your heart that our mouth speaks. I go back again to the idea that when my heart is hurt, when there's bitterness and unforgiveness and there's, there's pain in my heart, it'll get reflected in how I treat other people. And if you're not careful, you take it out on people who aren't even a part of the problem. You know, that's why you see road rage incidences that bubble up, or you see someone in a restaurant who just berate, you know, a wait staff member, or you, you, you see these examples around us every other day of somebody just taking things out on people who just really didn't do anything to deserve it. It's, it's not the people, it's what's in the heart of the person. And when your heart goes unchecked and un, when there's not a catharos, when you don't have a process of getting that impurity out of you, it's gonna come out somewhere, and more often than not, it comes out in how we talk and how we talk to other people. That's why from time to time, you need someone who knows you best and loves you the most that can have a sweet little conversation with you and say, honey, are you okay? There's something going on, because you know, you're pretty negative and you're pretty critical and you're pretty cynical, and that's not you. And so you have someone that can kind of check yourself before you wreck yourself, because what's in your heart will eventually come right out of your, your mouth. So understand the source of this, it begins in our heart. When somebody is, have you ever heard this expression, I'm just thinking out loud? You know what that's called? It's called talking. <laughs> All talking is is thinking out loud, because the things you think about when you speak them, you first thought them, because remember the thought, the intellect is in the heart. And the reason you said it, because your will got engaged and you decided you would go ahead and say what you're thinking. That's why when you guard your heart, as I'll get to in a minute, you're, you're keeping your will in check. And that's why I'll, I'll tell you again in a moment, you don't need to say everything you think. It's okay. So you have the source of your words. Here's the third, second thought. Not only the source of your word, authenticating faith, but the force of your words. Your words have force. Your words have power. Here's another old saying you probably heard like I growing up. Sticks and stones will break my bones, but words will never hurt me. Have you heard that one, right? That's not true. Now, not the part of sticks and stones breaking your bones. That's true. That, they'll break your bones. But the part of words will never hurt me. That's not true. Words will hurt you. 
In fact, I, I would dare say watching online this morning and in this room this morning are people who could remember hurtful words spoken to you when you were a child and you've never gotten past it. Now, you may have forgiven them and you may have gotten beyond it and, and you may have, you know, you're living a great, but you could still sit here long enough and remember something spoken to you and a moment in time in your life that hurt you so deeply that you've never forgotten it. I, I just say that to, to challenge all of us because we've all gone there to just tap the brake from time to time, catch our breath and realize that when these words flow, these words have power and these words can hurt people. And inevitably, as you've said and heard said time and time again, hurt people <laughs> tend to hurt people. And when you look at the description of the words and the way the, the metaphors that James uses to talk about our words, remember he says it's like bits and rudders? Bits in the, uh, on the bridle of a horse and the rudder that guides the ship. Think about words give direction. Words give direction. You can give someone direction in life by their words. You give your children direction in life by their words. So that's why we have to be careful. And in fact, the next section of James, he talks about wisdom. And man, if we ever need wisdom, we need wisdom when we're trying to give someone direction. I remember when I was very young in ministry, I was working for my dad and he had me substitute for him one weekend. And it was just a profound thing. When I was at the back and it was in the lobby shaking hands with people, they were leaving and this guy came up to me and it was just a real profound moment. He goes, Bill, I'm gonna take your advice and I'm gonna put everything you said into practice. And I had one of these, oh my gosh moments. What did I tell him? Honestly, I know it's a terrible thing to admit as a pastor, <laughs> but, and I've tried to really be careful with what I advise people to do, but it was profound that it hit me as a, you know 18, 19-year-old kid that when you're in a position of leadership and a position of authority, even if it's perceived, there may be somebody that's actually going to take your advice. <laughs> they may actually do that. And I don't know, it was just, it's me. Uh, I was, it was a profound moment to realize, man, you better be careful what you tell people. They may put those words, that's why the Bible says there's a greater weight placed upon teachers because you have an awesome responsibility. So I tell you all the time, weigh anything you hear me say against God's word. And if what I've advised you to do, go against God's word, believe his word and doubt me because I don't believe everything I've ever said. I mean, I wouldn't put my faith and trust in anyone's word completely, fully, faithfully because we're all sinners saved by grace. We'll miss it from time to time. I've been wrong a lot. And I'm just saying that when we use our words, we have to know they're like bits and they're like rudders. They're gonna give certain direction to people, so be careful with what you say. Second thing he said, another metaphor, he said your words are like fire. Talked about Smokey the Bear. Have you ever thought about, you can burn a relationship with your words? We use the term, I got burned. <laughs> and that's never a good thing. No one ever said, I got burned and it was awesome. I mean, when somebody burns you, that's a, bad, that's a bad way of describing how they treated you. Our words, we can burn our relationship. We can burn our kids. You can burn your house down with your words. You can burn a business, you can burn a customer. He's saying your words are like fire. You have to understand the powerful potential of the words that we speak. So these things, that's why I think sometimes God puts the tongue behind these little ivory bars called teeth <laughs> so we can have a, a buffer. And sometimes you just gotta keep that mouth shut so that thing can't get out and hurt somebody. Uh, that's why I think we have two ears and one mouth. Maybe God's saying you need to listen twice as much as you talk. 
So these words are like bits and bridles, they're like fire. They give direction, they can bring destruction. Another thing you said, they're like, they're like poison. They, they can actually bring about death. They can, they can bring about so much destruction. So, so James was concerned, and I thought about this. James is writing in the first century, and he's writing about things that are pretty common to you and me today. Every one of us have experiences. We've all been guilty of it, and we've all had that. We've been victims of words that were spoken and words that were, that were harmful. When Jesus talked about the power of words in John 6, 63, he said his words are spirit and life. Now think about that term. Words are spirit and life. God's word particularly is spirit and life, but in application, words go into the spirit of a person. They can bring life or death. They can bring uh, positive things or negative things. So words are one of those things that we speak that can go beyond the hearing and can go into your spirit. That's when it affects you. That, that's when, as I said a minute ago, it gets into your heart. Uh, that's when you have to deal with it, is when the words get beyond your hearing and they get into your heart. They start settling on you. You keep rehearsing what that person said to you and you can't get past. And that's why conflict resolution, there comes a time when you have to sit down with someone and be careful because the force of your words, that you want to retaliate. You know, they bring a knife, you bring a gun. <laughs> and so you, you want to amp it up. Well, the, the point of confrontation is reconciliation, right? The point of confronting someone is not to set them straight or to go off on them, but you want to reconcile. You're, you're trying to fix something that was broken, to reconcile it. So what you do, and we've talked about this before, is you have to find the right time. There's a timing element involved. The Bible talks about um, um, you know, words appropriately spoken are like apples of gold and pitchers of silver, meaning there, there, there is an appropriateness there is a timing of these words. So when somebody has hurt you, and they may not be aware of it, they might have been having a bad day or a bad decade. <laughs> uh, you know, there, there may be some stuff in their heart and, and you were just the next one in line and they just go around scorched earth burning everybody and everything, but you're close enough to them that you feel like you owe it to them to confront them. So find the right time. The appropriateness of the moment is significant. And then once you find the right time, secondly, find the right tone, the right tone. Um, you can say the right thing the wrong way. You can say the right word, but use the wrong tone and turn them off. And men are particularly bad at this. And women will tell you, it's not what you said, it's the way you said it. Remember, I was married to a girl for 42 years. I know a little something, something about that. I said, marriage not the end of your troubles, it's the front end. So <laughs> you have to learn how to do this. So the point is you have the, I don't know, it still works, Mac. So you have this right time, you have the right tone. And then the third thing is you have the right turf. Find the right place, you know, not in front of friends, in other family. I just went to the you know, Festivus, remember that? I'm just gonna tell everybody what I think. I don't know, some of you will get that reference. But the point is, you, you, if you're gonna reconcile and fix this, all of those elements have to be there. All of those things. The Bible says this, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth in love. So understand, our words have force. They can go down into the spirit. They can affect the heart. All right, so track with me. You have the source of your word from the heart. You have the force of your word, destruction. Art can bring blessing. And thirdly, you have the course, the charting the course of your words. That's where I determine by the grace of God that I'm gonna clean my act up. 
I'm going to fix the trajectory of my words, and I'm going to do it first and foremost by, and here we're back to this again, I'm going to guard my heart. Guard my heart. Psalm uh, 19, verse 14. The Bible teaches out of the heart grow all, all of the issues of life. What is the condition of your heart? You alone will know it. And if you're not sure of it, it will be evident by the preponderance of your words. When my words are just, I mean, just the, not, not on a bad day, but just as, a, as a, a trajectory, I mean, when my words are just negative and critical and hate, everything that comes out of me is going that way, I'm telling you what's wrong with my heart. You know, when, when there's just hostile and profane things, I'm telling you that's what's coming out of my heart. So first and foremost, if I'm gonna chart a positive course for my words so I don't affect my family and burn people I love and burn people I don't even know, I gotta guard my heart. And a part of guarding your heart, secondly, is to watch your words. Listen to this, Psalm 141, verse three. David said, set a watch, put a guard in front of my mouth and keep guard the door of my lips. <laughs> isn't, that, isn't that crazy? He said, just get somebody from heaven doing this at my mouth all the time, right? Just watching your mouth. Can you imagine? That's your prayer. God, get somebody to watch my mouth, guard my lips. I mean, slap it down, shut me down. If, I, if I'm about to say something stupid, uh, you know, I mean, I can happen. I have that ability. I have, that, I have the gift of agitation. I can do that. So that's not a gift, by the way. But the point is, set a guard, watch my mouth. Listen to this one, uh, 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 Ephesians 4.29. Let no corrupt word proceed out of your mouth. Instead, let only things come that are good for edification, meaning building up, that it may impart grace to the hearers. He said, man, be careful with the words you say. Guard your mouth. Make sure that what you say is going to build someone up and not break that person down. I'd say thirdly, check your motives. Check your motives. Remember we said Ephesians 4.15, speak the truth in love. Check your motives. Is my motivation reconciliation or is it just revenge? Am I just going to just go off on this person because I can't? I mean, make sure your motives are right. Make, check your motives. And listen, if you can't stay positive, then say nothing. The Bible says these words that we speak are like spilled milk. You can't go back and get it. It's like you poured milk out on the ground. You can't reclaim it. It's gone. It's like the feathers of a pillow that have been released into the wind. You can try to reclaim them, but you can never get all of them. So you're, some things you're just better left unsaid. That's why I've tried to develop through the years a habit of responding uh, to something or responding even to someone by trying to think through it before I just fire off a response, you know. Because I've had to go back and, you know, you know, like the guy following the elephant with a shovel, I've had to do that a little bit. So I'm just saying, it's better to think about that on the front end than deal with it on the back end. So what I've developed is a habit, I'll throw it out here, it's free like the rest. Um, I've tried to go ahead and do a draft if I'm going to respond to something, and then I'll save that draft. I'll think about it, I'll pray about it. I don't ever respond at night. Things always look bad. Have you noticed that things look worse at night? You get a little more amped up at night. So I don't respond to anything at night, unless something's on fire, you know, then obviously. But I mean, if it's something that I can't, you know, that I can wait till the next morning, that'll affect my night, I won't be able to sleep well, because it'll bother me, there, there, there is that. <laughs> but I found if I can let that thing sit and simmer and soak a little while, marinate it, think through it, pray a lot about it, a lot of times you end up either changing the construction of everything you said, 
or you don't send it at all. So I'm just saying that sometimes, guys, when you are trying to stay positive as you deal with conflict, sometimes it means just hold your peace. <laughs> just don't say anything. Just keep quiet for a little while. Now may not be the time to try to reconcile this issue. Um, so go ahead and fight the temptation uh, to, to, to say everything that you think. Let me give you this and we'll go home. In Joshua 8, there's really a powerful uh, illustration of how you and I are, con are in control of our destiny, uh, of the course of our communications. Um, Joshua led the people of God into this valley and they were gonna have an incredible service where he was gonna go back and recount the blessings and the cursings that are in God's word. The blessings come when you follow and apply and you do what God has said to do, and then the cursings, the negative things happen when you deny God's word and you disobey him and you don't do the things he said to do. And to illustrate this message, he builds an altar in the valley, and this is a kind of a tight valley, I've been there. And on one side you have Mount Ebal, and Mount Ebal was this rough and rocky ridge there's very little vegetation growing on it. On the other is Mount Gerizim, and Mount Gerizim is beautiful and lush. And so he divides the people and he puts half the people on Ebal, this rocky, rough mountainside. And he takes the other half of the people and he puts them on Gerizim, which is this beautiful, vegetated mountainside. And then in the middle is the altar and he begins to preach to them where they could hear him, kind of an amphitheater. And he begins to read and he says to the people on Ebal, when I talk about if you don't do the things that are contained in God's word, there's negative things that will happen, there's bad things that will happen, and you all affirm that on Ebal by saying amen. Then when I tell you when you do apply God's word and you do find walking in obedience and living right, God brings blessings and favor in your life, I want you on Gerizim to say amen. And it was this beautiful, incredible, illustrated sermon in Joshua 8 where the people basically were speaking to that which would be their destiny. They were saying, if I'm gonna follow God and apply his word, blessing will be coming into my life, and I embrace that. Conversely, if I'm not gonna follow God's word and embrace the blessings that come from it, then trouble is going to come into my world. And that's true of our language. When we guard our hearts and we say, God, I wanna follow the principles of your word, blessings come into your life. Favor comes into your life. Wisdom, that's why the latter part of James 3 talks about wisdom, knowing when to speak up and when to shut up, knowing what to say and when to say or if to say. <laughs> All that happens there. So I'm just saying, guys, we're in control of that. And I hope as we go forward and as we engage in business and with our family this week, we'll guard our hearts, we'll guard our words, and we'll realize the power and the potential of our language. Let's pray. Father, I do thank you for your word and now as we prepare to celebrate some who are going forward with their faith and through baptism, I pray you'll bless them, bless their families. I thank you for them. Lord, we realize this is a big step they're taking as they are declaring before the world, I know Jesus, and I'm following him in the waters of baptism. So Father, as we prepare to close the service, bless this time as we celebrate baptisms. And then Lord, I pray for my friends watching or those in the room who may never have trusted you as Savior, that this might be the moment where they just humble their heart right where they are and they pray this prayer and say, Lord Jesus, with all that I know about me, I now trust all that I know about you. Come into my heart, forgive my sin. And I pray this prayer in Jesus' name, amen. 
Thank you so much for tuning in today. If you have any questions or prayer requests, please contact us by visiting metchurch.com so that we can follow up with you this week. We look forward to seeing you next week.